1: Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. I'm pleased to have as a returning guest today, an old friend and colleague, I've known him for as hard as it is to believe, 25 years now, Dr. Robert Bradley. Rob can be fairly considered one of the leading experts in the nation, if not the world, on energy issues, particularly oil, gas, and renewables. Rob has had an interesting history, which we'll explore a bit below. He's written seven books, including Edison to Enron, Energy Markets and Political Strategies, an Energy Primer, that he co-authored with Richard Fulmer, Energy, the Master Resource, which I think is just a fantastic book. Uh, Perhaps most significantly, Rob is CEO and founder of the Institute for Energy Research, among the nation's leading research institutes on the structure and regulation of energy markets, And as if that's not enough, on the side, Rob also runs one of the most insightful energy blogs on the web, The Master Resource. As he has in the past, Rob has agreed to speak at the 15th International Conference on Climate Change uh, being hosted in Orlando, Florida in February. That's a, a Heartland event. And he has proposed a couple of interesting topics, which I'd like to discuss today. Rob, thanks for being with us.
2: Good to be with you, Sterling.
1: So, Rob... Uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or the Institute of Energy Research, it has been a while since you've been on, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your
2: background, and IER. Okay. Well, the long version gets me all the way back to high school when I read a Ayn Rand novel, uh, The Fountainhead. Uh, regarding energy, uh, I guess my first experience was being in the gasoline lines and the 1970s which does uh, date me um, uh, but I really became interested in uh, uh focused on energy around 19 uh 80 uh when I agreed to uh, write a primer uh, on the history of oil and gas regulation for the Cato Institute and uh, at the time uh I was Uh, working for a bank, and then I went to work for Enron in 1985, and I was uh, starting to publish articles and books, so um, I uh, founded a, a 501c3 educational organization called the Institute for Energy Research in 1989, and this was a uh, uh, very s- small operation. Uh, uh, some called us a think bucket rather than a think tank. <laughs> it was out of my house, but we had a board of directors and we had audited financials and I was working with the uh, other free market energy analysts. And keep in mind, uh, way back in the 80s, uh, there just weren't that many uh, energy specialists, particularly on the free market side um, some of the big groups uh, uh free market groups uh, had uh, some energy focus, but uh it wasn't nearly enough and um so i e r eventually became a full time organization uh, after I was part of the Enron layoff in late two thousand one. I uh, attracted some funding, and in 2006, uh, we made a big move where the core of the operation went to Washington, D.C., uh, hired a, uh, a president, uh, Tom Pyle, uh, who is still there, uh, had a uh, you know full-time staff, and uh, IER fairly quickly formed a C4 affiliate. Uh, more on the advocacy side called the American Energy Alliance. So IER really outgrew me. Uh, I am still a uh, uh, founder and CEO. Uh, I uh, do not operate in Washington, D.C. We're fairly scattered these days, but um, uh, my focus is on the scholarship side. Uh, um, IER and the American Energy Alliance are – uh, in Washington, for a purpose to uh, uh, to be an advocacy organization and to get involved with a free market voice in the legislative and uh, administrative uh, debates there. So that's a fairly quick uh, introduction to uh, me and IER. So basically, you provide the intellectual
1: material, and they use that to uh, impact policy.
2: Yes, I'm more the uh, books, articles, uh, and we do have uh, a staff now where uh, these, these youngsters are catching up to me, and uh, they might be uh, surpassing me here fairly quickly, but that's the point.
1: Okay, so Rob, you and I recently saw each other. We were at the same conference uh, where we discussed Julian Simon's impact and discussed the issue of whether the Earth's growing population is a problem or a boon for humankind. And one of the issues that naturally came up in relation to that was climate change, because many climate alarmists say that human population is the the real climate problem, that there weren't so many people, we wouldn't have the CO2 emissions, blah, blah, blah. Why did Julian Simon think that a growing population was a benefit to humankind and how does that play out in the discussion of climate change?
2: Well, that's a, a good way to put it, uh, Sterling. Uh, ultimately, uh, the uh, climate issue does get back uh, to human population and uh, human affluence. Um, so uh, they go together. Um, and uh, Julian Simon, uh, back in the 70s, Uh, uh, reversed the thinking on this, or he he offered a whole new way to look at population as not being the problem, but the solution. And uh, uh, Simon was uh, fairly focused on energy, which he called the master resource. And uh, the term we most associate with Simon today is uh, the ultimate resource of uh, human ingenuity. And in nineteen seventy seven Simon uh, wrote a thick book called "The Economics of Population Growth," where using uh, data, you know hard hard facts, uh, he argued that there was a positive correlation between uh, population and human betterment, uh, broadly considered. Uh, and several years later, uh, he published a book, a more popular version of uh, his thesis called The Ultimate Resource. It came out in uh, uh, 1981 where uh, he, he made four statements on the cover of the book. He said, natural resources and energy are getting less scarce. Pollution in the U.S. has been decreasing. Uh, The world's food supply is improving. Population growth has long-term benefits. So uh, what Simon would say uh, with a a newborn uh, uh, through their teens, uh, that uh, individual is probably uh, a a negative as far as uh, economic productivity. But uh, once that individual uh, goes to work, Uh, Even in advanced countries, then the productivity reverses, and on net, uh, your average human being is a uh, producer and makes things better rather than worse. Now, there's an equation the other side uses, I equals PAT, and and that is impact as a negative environmental impact equals population times affluence times technology. Well, Simon completely reversed that. He would say, uh, instead of uh, the I being negative environmental impact, why don't we call the I improvement? So human improvement equals population uh, times affluence times uh, uh, technology. So Simon turned it all around, uh, uh, and certainly on on the question of climate change, uh, Simon uh, was an optimist, he said to the extent that weather extremes and uh, or and/or climate change uh, 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 presents challenges, that uh, human ingenuity can meet those challenges, and that's a view that I hold today.
0: We'll be right back. What is the true crisis, climate change or climate policy pushed by out-of-touch elites? Learn the answer to that very important question at the Heartland Institute's 15th International Conference on Climate Change, the most important conference of the year for people who want to really know what is happening to our climate and why. This event will be held from February 23rd to February 25th at the Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista in Orlando, Florida, and you're going to want to make your reservations now. Visit heartland.org to learn more. This conference will feature some of the most renowned climate scientists in the world. They've worked in the field for decades. They know the data and they can explain how that data does not support the alarmist narrative on the climate. Attend this conference in Orlando, Florida from February 23rd to February 25th to learn the truth and inspire your own passion to spread that truth around the globe. Visit heartland.org for more information, or you can register directly at climateconference.heartland.org. Our future is in the balance and you need to obtain for yourself the important information you will learn at this conference. It's not just for scientists, it's for people like you and me. So visit heartland.org or call 312-377-4000 to register. That's heartland.org or call 312-377-4000. Register today and we'll see you there.
1: All right, back to the show. Uh, You know, it's not just, I just want to stress for our listeners, it's not just that he said that uh, the case was just the reverse. You you mentioned um, earlier in your response that he based his claim not on theory or computer models, but data. Imagine that in this day and age, someone actually citing science. And by science, they mean what science really is, which is looking at research, looking at um, uh, data, looking at facts, and coming to conclusions based on that. He did that. Uh, largely his opponents don't it's all speculation it's theories it's models and they ignore data that undermines all those things i just think it's important that our listeners know that it's, he didn't he wasn't just saying this stuff he backed it up with data
2: <laughs> right and uh computer models uh, there's the, uh, the, the adage garbage in, garbage out. It's also uh, Malthus in Malthus out. <laughs> uh, 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 cu- computer models ever since the early 70s with the Club of Rome uh, MIT model uh, have been erroneous. Uh, and climate models today uh, have to make a very uh, a very pragmatic, uh, uh decisions uh, where to to physically run uh, the equations to try to come out with a uh, global estimate of temperature and the rest of it uh, the the models have to uh, make assumptions that um, uh, you just simply cannot make and'm I'm, I'm one of those that believes that climate models, are not better than nothing, they're worse than nothing because of uh, not knowing the physical equations and these equations being subgrid scale.
1: They're misleading. So, Rob, you've agreed to speak at the International Climate Conference, the 15th, hosted by the Heartland Institute in Orlando in February. Please give our audience just a little preview of some topics you might discuss to whet their appetites and encourage them to join us in person or online. Uh, You talked about something called Exxon New. Uh, What is that and why is it bunk and misdirection?
2: Well, uh, the Exxon New uh, is a political campaign where um, opponents of uh, oil, gas, uh, the climate alarmists went back uh, into the archives that Exxon, uh, uh, you know, happily made available and are available. And found out that uh, decades ago, uh, Exxon uh, hired some individuals within their uh, science department, kind of a futuristic think tank type department, to uh, look at uh, carbon dioxide. And Exxon invested uh, money and got some reports from uh, these individuals on uh, the uh, uh, future of CO2 emissions and likely impacts. And certain uh, individuals hired, and there's even one individual that wrote a report that was a summer intern, uh, concluded that uh, CO, uh, the rise in CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere uh, in uh, future decades could be uh, detrimental. Now, these reports um, uh, doesn't mean that Exxon as a company believed them. Uh, They were uh, really uh, sort of outlier reports uh, in the sense that, uh, or they were uh, one piece of a a multifaceted question. Um, uh, Exxon did not, ask uh, these scientists or hire anyone to look at the benefits of CO2 in terms of of agriculture and general greening of planet Earth. Also, Exxon uh, didn't uh, hire anyone or ask for studies on the offset of um, aerosols uh, uh, which had a cooling effect and uh, you know, when Exxon was getting started, and all this global cooling was more the scare from people or leading climate scientists such as Stephen Snot, uh, than uh, global warming. Uh, also, Exxon back in the '70s, when all this was getting started, was a lot more concerned about peak oil and peak gas than they were any climate issue. No. So, yeah. To
1: to be fair, Exxon shouldn't be in the business of examining (laughs) aerosols or, uh, uh, you know, greenhouse gases, uh, their impact, except as it impacts their bottom line. They're a business. They're not a research institute doing pure science. They are out to uh, produce a product and return profits to their owners, the stockholders. And unless uh the uh sort of science of climate change impacts that bottom line, uh there's no reason to think they should have hired or gone into that kind of stuff. It's it's extraneous to what their core mission is, is making profit for their, you know, it's like uh um a guy making bicycles. Oh well he didn't do research into climate change. Uh and you know, it's like, okay, he's not a climate researcher, he's a bicycle manufacturer. I just the, the idea that because they're an oil company, they should have been doing this kind of research. Um, it just it's um misguided to
0: me.
2: Well, uh that that's certainly an argument that this was a, a big mistake of management by getting into an area uh of science that was embryonic. And this is one reason that wanted to get in the area i think they wanted to understand uh the issue and to somewhat control the issue uh, by getting involved ahead of time but in retrospect it was a a a real mistake of getting far away from their core competency and opening up what what has turned out to be a, a can of worms at least on a VR basis. And Sterling, this uh, also uh, uh, is an important point when you look today at a number of companies that have made net zero type pledges, uh, including a Shell, where uh, the opponents, far from being appeased, are now filing lawsuits against them saying they're not doing enough to uh, to back what they promised they would do. So, uh yeah corporations need to tone down the politics and stay uh, uh 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 in their in their core areas
1: yeah stay in their lane but there's also no evidence in the Exxon news stuff is not shown provided any evidence that Exxon suppressed uh good research or hid facts that they knew so um it's it's really a bunch of uh in my opinion it's 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 fodder for lawsuits and it's trying to have exxon spend scarce resources on things other than producing oil and gas spend money on yeah law- spend money on lawyers rather than production and delivery
2: yeah and, and now accountants with all this uh e s d yeah uh but uh you know these reports uh, uh were in one exxon department and the uh the senior executives there uh uh didn't really act on them or think they were particularly important uh, again this was one these were certain individuals and this was in one area of a very complicated debate uh um and there's uh so the the other side the assumption they're trying to make is that we Had settled science about uh, CO2 and uh, high warming uh, from it, you know, way back at the beginning. But um, uh, if you look at the history of the climate debate uh, from, uh, you know, the 70s, 80s, and all the way to the present, you see uh, vigorous debates. Uh, about unsettled science. And uh, Kerry Emanuel, uh, MIT uh, uh, distinguished uh, climatologist, who um, you know, is one of the top people on the uh, alarmist side, he, he, in a debate with John Christie uh, 15, 20 years ago, uh, came out uh, uh, and said, you know, what, what we know versus we uh, don't know. Uh, Is um, an open question. And he published a book. I'm going to find it on my desk. Uh, He he said, What we know about climate change. Uh, And in the Christie debate, um, Emmanuel said, Well, uh, you know, I wrote this short primer, you know, less than 100 pages. If I were to write a book on what we don't know about climate change, uh, it would be. Uh, a huge tome, it'd be much, much longer. So the idea that uh, certain individuals at uh, ExxonMobil uh, had all the answers way back then when, you know, years before the IPCC was formed uh, is uh, um, inaccurate history.
1: Yeah, y- years before James Hansen ever testified at the staged hearing in, in, in the Senate. So, um Rob, another topic that you have broached uh, as possible uh, presentation at ICCC 15 is what you call, quote, curing climate anxiety, unquote. What is that, and why is the anxiety misplaced, and how do we cure it?
2: Well, the other side, uh, they're so sure about alarmist science Uh, And they also see that the politics of mitigation is simply not working. You know, here we are 30 plus years into the climate debate and we have a tripartite fossil fuel boom with oil, gas and coal. Um, You know, at at this juncture, they many claim and, and they even have some psychiatrists that specialize in this area that, you know, help help people deal with climate anxiety you know this we have we have a huge problem we're not doing anything about it well uh it seems to me the far better way to approach it you know if you really have climate climate anxiety and you want to feel better you need to open your mind to the arguments against climate alarmism and they're just all sitting there on the shelf so i thought uh, maybe hartland uh, could have a session where they you know try to get uh, you know people from the other side who really claim that their uh, uh, their mental state is hurt uh, from this whole issue to come listen to uh, a, a suite of speakers that can uh, talk about the benefits of c o two in global g- greening the benefits of Anthropogenic warming during the winter Uh, uh, months—that's something the UK and EU desperately needs in their current energy crisis—and talk about how climate models are biased toward uh, high sensitivity warming, and how the data in all these different areas uh, 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 refutes to some extent uh, the dire. Uh, projections of these models. So, um, you know, you could advertise this uh, on social media and, uh, you know, how many of the alarmists really, uh, you know, claiming to have uh, climate anxiety, how, how many of them would actually show up at this? And this indicates that if they don't want to engage in self-help, this is a religious question.
1: <laughs> you know, I've uh, I've long contended, you know, I've re- I've written articles about how, um, you know, the psychi- psychiatric community has said, you know, there's a new branch of psychiatry with eco. Eco psychiatry, because so many people are having problems based on uh, fears of environmental doom and climate change, and and the youth is especially affected by this. and And it's long been my contention that it's not the climate change itself, uh, or the potential uh, supposed threats from climate change. It's the it's the mass mainstream media constant drip, drip, drip coverage of this that is generating anxiety and it's unjustified based on data. You know, going back to Simon once again, data, 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 look at facts. Facts don't support the wild assertions that are being made every day in the mainstream media that are generating these, uh, you know, um, these psychological problems that especially youth are being affected by. It's just, it's just shameless that, that they are um, harming a generation of youth with these, Uh, unfounded uh, fears for, in my opinion, political purposes. But uh, there you go.
2: Yeah, and now they've also uh, created an energy crisis where some of these children might be shivering at night uh, in the UK and EU.
1: Yeah, well, there you go. So big picture, Rob. If you could make just one point, what's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today and why they should join us at uh, ICCC 15?
2: (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of good reasons to come to Orlando in late February. Uh, uh, One one is um, uh, to push back on uh what now is uh, a global effort by governments uh uh, uh to create to uh, legitimatize um, uh, uh, so, uh socialism or authoritarianism uh, on the climate change issue so uh we need data and intellectual heft in order to refute this the other reasons for attending the conference uh, would be to network, uh, uh, to meet a lot of interesting people. And guess what? We're going to be in a supermajority that uh, the climate is not in crisis. That's a, that's a good feeling. Uh, and it uh, imparts optimism. And uh, it just generally makes you feel better. Um, Energy trends are going our way, but political trends uh, remain a big problem. So um, I think the Heartland Conference is uh, the single most important uh, international event each year for the uh, skeptics of climate alarmism and critics of forced energy uh, transformation because intellectually, we're winning. Uh, politically, we're not. Uh, and that creates a huge opportunity for each of us to do what we can.
1: Yeah. And, and I appreciate you saying that. And it's not just a raw rock conference. It's not just we're, we're not trying to just speak, uh, you know, preach to the choir. One of the things that takes place at these conferences is we have top scientists who talk about the recent research and so, if you want to arm yourself with uh, with uh, the, the the current state of knowledge concerning climate change, this is a place you can come and, and get that in one sort of concentrated package, rather than try and go out and do your own journal searches and things. So, anyway,
2: yeah, uh, just it's a, my it's, two cents. It's, yeah, it's a fun event in uh, Orlando. Should be uh, pretty nice weather and. Uh, late February. So uh, there are a lot of a lot of reasons to come, and I hope you have a, 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 a large, maybe even a record attendance.
1: It would be great if we did. So, Rob, we're pleased you could be with us today. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners.
2: Well, good to be with you, Sterling. We'll do it again in time.
1: Yep. Listeners, thanks for checking on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Rob Bradley and the Institute for Energy Research and his blog, The Master Resource, and as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. In addition, please consider attending Heartland's forthcoming 15th International Conference on Climate Change at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista in Orlando, Florida on Thursday, February 23rd, through February 25th, 2023, you can get Harlan's early bird rate by registering before December 31st. Just go to our website and sign up. The conference uh, will have panels and presentations from many of the world's top climate and energy experts discussing the latest climate science and the wrong headed energy and policy solutions. The world's governments are determined, seem ter- determined to, de- to impose on all of us. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye.